there's an old anecdote of uh, a king in the days of old who was looking for some new recipes for his menu. And he heard that Jews are very good at making good food. So he sent his chef to a Jewish household for Shabbos to observe what they, what they eat, what the delicacies are. So the chef comes to the Jewish house. And of course, Shabbos by day, the feature of the Kiddush is the chalent. And it's a chalent with meat and potatoes and beans. But like many chalents, on top is a roll of kishka. Now kishka today comes wrapped in a plastic package, but kishka of old was literally a kishka. Kishka means intestine. You take the intestines of an animal and you stuff it with all kinds of stuffings and vegetables and it becomes very good. You let it marinate in the chalent for 24 hours and then... Huh? No, no. Today's kishka is manufactured. It's different. But in times of old, it was a proper kishka. And the chef was enamored with this kishka. He ate it and it was so... It was great. And he, uh, he told the balabasta, the, the, the woman of the house, you have to teach me how to make this. Because this, the king is going to love. And uh, sure enough, she said, come back after Shabbos, I'll give you the recipe. So after Shabbos, he comes back and she walks him through the exact way to stuff the intestine. You have to get it you know, exactly to size and then you put it in and this is the recipe and the whole thing. So he comes back to the palace and he says, I have got the next dinner on me. Perfect. Bring me a couple of animal intestines. That's what I want. King says, okay, got it. And he fills up the intestines just the way she instructed. And he puts it in the pot and it starts to cook. And before long, this terrible smell starts to go around the palace. And the, the whole place is stinking to the point that uh, not only was there no dinner, but the whole place had to be you know, fumigated with air freshener just to get the smell out. It took days till the whole thing came out and the king was furious. He said, what, what in the world? I sent you to the Jewish house and you make me this disgusting dish. He says, I don't know what happened. I, I, I obviously missed something because back home it was great. So he goes back to the Jewish woman and he says, you have to explain to me what happened. I, tr- I followed the recipe to the tea and it didn't work. She says, what exactly did you do? So well, I went to the butcher, I got the intestines and I started filling it. And she says, wait, you didn't clean out the intestines first? He says, no, I, I didn't think you had to do that. You didn't tell me. It wasn't one of the instructions. She says, yeah, it wasn't one of the instructions because I didn't think I had to tell you that. Of course, before you fill a kishka, you have to clean it. So that's the metaphor. Before you fill the kishka, you have to clean it. We're on a couple of weeks break, so a little refresher. We're in the third book of the Tanya. The book is called Igeret HaTshuva. It's a treatise, it's a letter on Shuva, and it's unbelievable that we're studying it in these times, literally the month of Elul, the month of Teshuva, as we prepare for the high holidays. And essentially, this book is uh, a tale of two Tshuvas, two types of repentance. He calls them, the Altar Rebbe calls them the lower and the higher Teshuva. But the lower and higher Teshuva themselves exist on two dimensions. There's an exoteric dimension and an esoteric dimension. There's a revealed dimension and a mystical dimension. On the revealed level, the lower and higher tshuva can be looked at, kind of like we described back in chapter two, as 
the difference between having a lawyer plead your case and then giving a gift as a follow-up. Before you do anything, you gotta, you gotta have the bad deed repaired. Someone has to intercede on your behalf so that the king doesn't kill you. And then you can give a gift as a follow-up to hope to restore the good graces. That's the lower and higher teshuva. In times of old, it was like fasting was one of those levels, bringing sacrifices was one of those levels. But essentially, what's lacking is that what's broken is broken. You can never really repair a negative act. Relationship can be restored, but not the act, not the deed. Beginning in chapter 4 of the book, the Alter Rebbe introduces that according to Kabbalah, on a mystical level, teshuva is more than avoiding punishment. Teshuva is literally retrieving, rectifying the misused spiritual energies. It's possible. If you can transcend the limitations of this world and enter a realm of godliness, it's possible to replace or restore the godly energy that was misused when you did the act of sin. And on this mystical level, there's also a lower and a higher teshuva. This mystical restoration, the word teshuva actually in the Zohar is explained as tashuv hey, you return the hey. The hay is representative of the, of the godly power that gets fragmented upon the deed of an Avera. And the tashuv hay is the return or the restoration of that hay. And that exists, on, again, on two levels, lower and higher teshuva. The last time we got together in chapter 7 of this book, the Alter Rebbe walked us through the process of the lower teshuva, the lower, the first steps. Let's call it the cleaning of the kishka. The, the way to clean the intestine, before you fill it with anything, just to clean it out. What are the steps for cleaning out the kishka? Dr. Rebbe said two things, but essentially I'm going to boil it down to one. It's about regaining your sensitivity. Every human being is born with a natural tendency to be drawn to goodness and to be averse to negativity. That's every human. Every Jew is born with a natural tendency to be aligned to God's will and to stay away from that which violates His will. That's just how it is. That's the nature of our neshamas. The problem is, tendencies, sensitivities, can be sharpened, but they can also be dulled, pending your lifestyle. So if you live a lifestyle of indulgence, indulgence breeds desensitization. By no fault of your own. That's what happens when you give in once and you give in twice. Before you know it, the conscience is lost. Repeat criminals, violators who do it again and again, at a certain point, the malicious intent stops. It's just, I don't care. I've gotten so used to living this way that it doesn't bother me when I do the wrong thing. None of us, I should hope, are on the extreme level of criminal offenses. But yet, in the day-to-day -day experience of living as a Jew, 
our sensitivities can get dulled. Sometimes it's by no fault of our own, it's by our upbringing. Sometimes it is by, re- by repeat, by repetition. We lose, we lose that sense. So the lower teshuva is about regaining that sensitivity. And it's, it's done kind of through a negative process. There is a negativity associated with it. The Alter Rebbe talks about reminding yourself what your soul used to be and where it had to go, what kind of a world it had to enter, how much suffering it has to endure. He talks about um, even beating yourself up in a way, mentally, about how you could have caused this terrible journey for your own soul. It's a harsh process. It's a harsh... It's harsh steps to walk through. But what it does is it's a wake-up. It's a shake-up, like the shofar we're blowing nowadays. The shofar is a wake-up call. It's a wake-up to the soul, and it allows us to move back into the zone where we are once again sensitive to those things that we should be sensitive to. When sensitivity is restored, now there's room for relationship. Just like you have to clean the kishka before you can fill it. And you can only fill it when it's clean. The higher teshuva can only exist in a place where lower teshuva has already been performed. So essentially, and the higher teshuva is going to be the discussion of the next couple of chapters, 9, 10, and 11. But in chapter 8, which is tonight's chapter, the Alter Rebbe says that one can only exist when the other is already in place. You have to have the lower tshuva. You have to be sensitized to godliness in order to be in relationship. One of the features of the month of Elul that we happen to find ourselves in right now is uh, in Kabbalah it says, God's 13 attributes of mercy are revealed. It's the Chodesh HaRachamim. It's the month of mercy because God's compassion, the 13 attributes which He revealed to Moses on Mount Sinai, are uh, readily available for access. And without getting into the whole hullabaloo of it, the bottom line of these 13 attributes is that they are basically accessing God the way He is higher than reason. Reason, logic, is at the core of so much of our universe. But logic is bound by laws. And when laws are broken, they're broken. That's it, it's broken. Logically, when you do an Avera, when you fall out of God's grace, you're fallen out, you're done. You did the deed, there's no going back. You did the deed. So while you can fix the way you and Hashem might be on your terms, you can't undo that which you did. But that's only in the world of logic. In the world of higher than logic, it says in the Zohar, and the Arizal taught this many, many times, that appealing to the part of God that's higher than reason allows for healing to take place in a way that reason cannot fathom. Where even something that's broken can be fixed where even a deed that was committed can be cleared. 
So right in the beginning of chapter 8, the Alter Rebbe says that when the lower tshuva is in place, when you've done the process of resensitization, just before you enter the realm of the higher tshuva, the relationship with God, the intimate relationship with God, you appeal to these 13 attributes of mercy. You appeal to the part of God that allows for repair, that allows for rectification. And it's in that moment that the past is wiped clean and a new vista is opened for, um, for a bright future. And a bright future that takes nothing of the past into consideration. If I can give this maybe a little mystical form, but still keep it relatable. We've talked a couple of times in these classes about the four-letter name of God. Yud, He, Vav, and He. The four letters are divided into two classes. The Yud and the He are in one class. The Vav and the He are in another class. The Yud and the He represents godliness as he is removed, aloof, inaccessible. The Vav and the He represent godliness as he is available, attainable, achievable, relatable. Another distinction between the two is that the Yud and the He are personal, the Vav and the He are universal. Just like Judaism has those, you know, Judaism has two components, personal and universal. Torah and mitzvahs, the rules are the same for everybody. Everyone's got to shake the same lulav, eat the same matzah, read the same megillah. And yet everybody's relationship with God is very personal. I don't feel the way towards God as you do, and you don't understand with your mind's capacity what you can about God as the other person does. It's a very individualized experience. In the same way, godliness has these two elements, a universal and a personal, a part of godliness that's equally attached to every single being, and then a part of godliness that depending on your individualized makeup will achieve relationship with that to differing degrees. So the mystical form that the Alter Rebbe gives our previous conversation is that the, 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 the Yud and the He is like the higher tshuva, the Vav and the He is like the lower tshuva. Only when you have the universal Judaism, the universal godliness, can you then go on to have a personal Judaism or a personal godliness. There was a great rabbi, Emmanuel Shachat, you might have heard of him, he lived in Toronto, he was a great scholar, debated missionaries, that was his big thing. And uh, he coined this term, he called it the cardiac Jew. And the guy who says, everything for me is the heart. I don't put on tefillin, I don't do the Seder, but I, I, I'm, I'm connected with God, you know, I feel him, I, I, I go to the forest and I, I'm in tune. And he said, you're a cardiac Jew, you're gonna give yourself a heart attack. Judaism is first and foremost action-oriented, mitzvahs-oriented. Once you have those, then you can enrich it, you can enhance it, you can, you can embellish it with a personalized experience. But just a personalized experience is lacking substance. 
the previous Rebbe was arrested in 1927 for spreading Judaism in Russia. It was a horrible ordeal for him. And he was subjected to many interrogations. And we have record now with the communist archives opening up. We, we have actual record of the conversations. Some incredible conversations. And there was a point there where one of the interrogators who actually unfortunately were Jewish, these were fellow Jews who had become communists and in, you know, wanted to spite the work of the Rebbe. And um, at one point, he asked the previous Rebbe, tell me, your observance of Judaism, do you, do you do Judaism out of conviction or out of faith? You just believe it because your father's father and his father told you how to do it? Or you actually, with logical proof and conviction, believe in what you do? And obviously, it was a setup because he was hoping that the Rebbe would say it's on faith, as it is. And then he would say, oh, you see, it's just one big fakery, it's just faith, and it's all baloney. Instead, the, the previous Rebbe surprised them and he said, no, it's out of conviction. I actually believe and I can prove and demonstrate that everything that I believe is true. So the guy, a bit taken aback, he said, okay, well, convince me. If it's logical, convince me. Prove to me there's a God, prove to me Torah is divine, prove to me everything I have to do, go, I'm, I'm listening. So the previous Rebbe said, you sound smart, but you're not. Imagine if I walked down the street and I saw an astronomer with all his tools set up and he's measuring the movement of the planets and the stars. And I ask him to explain to me what he's doing and he's basically gives me the bottom line conclusions about what he believes and how the planets are circling. And then you say, tell me, is this on faith or on conviction? You know, which, which is it? And the astronomer will tell you it's conviction, it's mathematical. And you say, well then convince me. Are you kidding? He can't do it on the street. This is a man that's been studying this for years. You gotta go to school, learn the basics, pick a course, and then all the convictions will fall into place. So the previous rabbi said, for a Jewish person, school or the course is doing the mitzvahs, keeping the Torah. Come to my school, he said. Come, come with me home. Let's do Torah and mitzvahs for six months. And then I'll convince you everything. It's the nature of how it works. The deed draws the conviction. And you can't have one without the other. If the lower hay, if the lower tshuva is around, then you can have the higher hay, the higher tshuva. If practical Judaism is around, inspired Judaism will follow. But inspiration, without action, will just fade away. Yeah. Did he follow him? No. Yes. In a letter, he wrote a letter. Yes. Oh, we'll get to the happiness. Yeah, yeah. Yes, happiness is coming. You got to come back next week for that. Huh? Yes, the double emotions. 
Well, you can, and we're, we're, we're going we're gonna to see about that. That's, it's a big discussion coming up. That's right. Be happy in our depression. It's a Jewish thing. <laughs> but uh, that's, that's the thing. Higher tshuva is where you want to be. In close, intimate relationship. But it demands a prerequisite. Setting the stage. You've got to line up the stars in order for the next thing to happen. Higher tshuva is what the Alter Rebbe calls tshuva shlema. It's the complete tshuva. Because that's, re- that's, that's really what you're aspiring to. You're aspiring to be back in the original place where you were. Where things were before the mess up happened. And you can do it. If you follow the steps. The Alter Rebbe makes a very interesting observation in this chapter. The Talmud records a debate. It's an interesting debate. Who's higher? The Tzaddik or the Baal Tshuva? Who's higher? Who's on a higher spiritual level? The one who's been righteous all his life, never made a mistake, never fell? Or the one who fell and came back? a debate. The rabbis had an argument about this. One said the tzaddik is higher. The other said the balchuva is higher. But the Rambam, Maimonides, who's the, the ruling, the halacha on Jewish law, and the Zohar, so it's corroborated both on a halachic level and on a mystical level, both of them say, as a final ruling, the balchuva is higher. Why is the balchuva higher? So on the legal level, the Ramam doesn't say much detail on why that is, but the Zohar gives a reason. The Zohar says the reason that a Balchuva is higher is because mashchin yatir. They, um, they draw godliness with much more strength. What does that mean? They draw godliness with much more strength. So Hasidic discourse is not in the Tanya, but it's explained that... Um, there's something about negative experiences that produce more energy than positive. The way, the way it's framed is no matter how strong you can run towards a diamond, you'll always run stronger away from death. <laughs> so if you knew there's a hundred million dollars waiting for you at the edge of the parking lot and you're going to run as, far as, as fast as you can, it will never come to the level that you will run if a grizzly bear is chasing you to kill you. It's the way it is. We run faster from negative than too positive. So Hasidah says, in explanation of the Zohar, that's why a Balchuva draws godliness with greater strength. Because the Balchuva, you see, they're both running. The Tzaddik and the Balchuva are both running. The Tzaddik is running to God. The Balchuva is running away from sin, away from negativity. So no matter how fast the Tzaddik can run, the Balchuva will always outrun him. You know the joke about the couple that was uh, in the safari? And they came across a lion, right? 
The lion opened its mouth and gave the roar, and the wife started running. Husband said, where are you running? You think you're going to outrun the lion? She says, no, but I can outrun you. <laughs> right? That's how they will always out, the, the Balshuva will always outrun the tzaddik. Yes? Is there any discussion in trying to determine this, you know, this idea of level of um, commitment, of level of um, consciousness as a Jew from Balshuva? Versus tzaddik? Yeah. Is there, is there any study that talks about um, the, how you were created, how the soul that is placed in the body that you are in this existence has been created for a specific experience? In other words, prone to be a tzaddik, prone to be a balchuva, that kind or of a thing? Just their life path must go a certain way because that's what they're here to do? It's, is that discounted? Is, uh, no, it, it, it's a good question. It's a good question. In the literature, it, it, it says tzaddikim are born. That means certain souls are born with a tendency to be a tzaddik. They have their own mission. And of course, in many ways, the tzaddik is uh, spiritually more in tune than the Balchuva. It reminded me of a funny story. There was a great, there was a great sage, one of the great Chabad thinkers of the last generation. His name was Rabbi Yoel Khan. Yeah, and he was once sitting at a Fabringen with, with some Balchuvas. And uh, a guy asked him, in all sincerity, really, he, he didn't mean anything bad. He said, uh, you know, we're learning in Hasidus that a Balchuva is higher than a Tzaddik. So how come you tell us all the time to go to the Rebbe and to visit the Rebbe's grave and to ask blessings from the Rebbe? The Rebbe's only a Tzaddik. I'm a Balchuva. Aren't I greater? So, so Rabbi Khan laughed. He laughed very hard. And he said, Petach. Uh, in Yiddish, it's like... Um, no, it's like fool. Who do you think inspired you to do tshuva? Who do you think inspired you to do tshuva? It was only the Rebbe, the head of the generation, the tzaddik of the generation that gave your soul the power to do tshuva because he felt your spiritual pain. So obviously, in certain ways, the tzaddik has... Has but, the advantage, but isn't the tzaddik somebody who also would have had experiences? He's had failures also, which has given him greater strength. So, not in the Hasidic version. In the purest sense of the word, a tzaddik has zero failures. This was in Book One of the Tanya. Big discussion. A tzaddik is the, the perpetually inspired Jew. There, there is a different version of a tzaddik where we talk about a man who's been through failure and came back up. The tzaddik of the Tanya is reserved for the highest level of a soul. Yes, which never touched negativity. Didn't make mistakes? No mistakes. It's a different type of a thing. Okay. Different type of a thing. It's like God decides how rich you're going to be, how smart you're going to be. Yes. He doesn't create how. Yes, God doesn't decide what kind of a soul. It's a longer thing, but the point is. That's the Talmud's observation, and the Rambam's observation, and the Zohar's observation, that Balshuvas are higher than a tzaddik because they draw the energy of the negativity, gives them more thrust in their service of God. So at the, at the very end of the chapter, the Altar makes says, interesting, that might be true when it comes to the lower tshuva, tshuva that's engaged in a process of tearing away from negativity. But what about the higher tshuva, the tshuva which is just pure relationship with God? Where is the advantage of the Balchuva over the Tzaddik in that area? Both would seem to be equally inspired. And the Alter Rebbe says, and uh, I think it's so powerful, the Alter Rebbe says, a Balchuva 
maintains extra thrust, even in the realm of just being inspired. Because he came from a place of negative energy, even if right now he's not running from the negativity, his inspiration will always have more passion, more energy, and more determination. It's the nature of a Balchuva, it's in his psyche for life. If God ordained that you have to be that person that faltered and then came back, know that when you come back, you will maintain that advantage for all of your life. When I was in yeshiva, there was a guy um, who was a Balchuva, but he was a Chabad rabbi, full on, I mean, the guy was full, full, in the full game. And he said that um, people complain that Balchuvas are always labeled as Balchuvas for the rest of their life. Oh, he's a Balchuva. No matter how orthodox you become, there's this stigma that follows you around. Oh, he's a Balchuva. And he says, people take it offensively, but I take it with pride. That's what he told us. He says, you know what? Because it's true. The energy, the joy in Judaism that I have, pointed to us, he says, none of you will ever have. Doesn't matter. This is, you grew up with it. I came to it. And because I came to it, I have a different appreciation and I'll always have a different, different appreciation. Call me Balchuva forever. I love it. That's, that's how it is. Even when you seem to have crossed the bridge, that, it, that, that, that depth stays with you. And in fact, probably brings a bigger wholesomeness to your life because of it. And that's the story in the higher tshuva. I think if we reflect on this concept, I think it's, it's a fascinating novelty that Kabbalah gives us with this, with this idea of the higher and lower tshuva. Because let me say it this way. Judaism sometimes seems like a burden. So many do's and don'ts and you gotta do this and you can't do that and a million and a half laws. And in certain ways, maybe it is. Very demanding, very rigorous. But at the same time, it's a million and a half opportunities to get close to God. Judaism is focused on details because it's God's way of saying, I want a million and a half intimate relationships with you. So I'm not going to give you one path, I'm going to give you 613 paths with all their branches. In other words, Judaism is detailed but Judaism is an opportunity for a personal and direct channel to God. And the very same God says, not only will I give you that chance for closeness, but I'll let you repair it a thousand times. Now typically, if you're in a relationship with somebody and the man messes you over once, maybe you can forgive it twice. Once he hit three times, you go, just don't come back into my life. Just stay away. I'm done. We're done. And Hashem, His signature feature is that no matter how many times you go off the path, come back. I, I, I so want that connection that I'll forgive and I'll wipe away anything for it. And not just forgive and wipe away in relationship terms. Forgive and wipe away in action terms. That's the, that's the mystical addition. 
that tshuva can actually rectify the past. It's an incredible gift that Hashem gave us. But all He asks is that we set the stage. Close with a story, the Baal Shem Tov, just before he passed away, gathered his students around his bed. And he gave each of them instructions for the future. And there was a man whose name was Rabbi Yaakov, one of the Hasidim, Rabbi Yaakov. And he said to him, your job, because you have been my personal attendant, you've seen what nobody else has seen, your job is going to be to go around and tell stories about me. Charge for them, <coughs> so you'll make a parnasa, you'll make, you'll make a living, but that'll be your job. And only stop when you get a sign from above. You'll know, you'll know when to stop, but you'll get the sign and you'll stop. And that's what he did. The Rebbe Pashandov passed away, and he began to tell stories. Didn't make him much money, because how much can you get for telling a story? But that's what he did. His Rebbe told him, and he traveled far and wide, really distant, uh, really big distances, to tell these stories. And um, at one point, he heard there was a rich Jew in Romania who would give any sum of money to hear a Balshemtov story that he had never heard. Tell me a story I never heard, and I will fill up your bank account. Sounds like a good opportunity. So he traveled to Romania. And uh, he came for a Shabbos. And the rich Jew says, wow, you know, to hear from the Balshemtov's attendant himself. I mean, you can't get better than this. You'll tell me something I don't know for sure. He says, are you kidding? Of course I will. I, I'm, I'm full of stories. <laughs> Just room and board for Shabbos and a nice check and you got me. He says, sure, come to my house for Shabbos. Not only, not, not only that, I'm going to invite the whole community so they can also hear as well. Friday night, puts out a massive advertisement. The whole community is invited to this rich Jew's house. Reb Yaakov, the Balshemtov's attendant, is telling stories. The whole community shows up. They have a beautiful dinner. And he says, oh, Reb Yaakov, now is your chance. Regale the audience. And his mind goes blank. He could not remember a single story. He became red in the face and then white in the face. I mean, embarrassed. He brought slept the whole community out. Can't remember a single story. The rich Jew, instead of getting annoyed, he says, don't worry, Rabbi Yaakov, maybe you're still jet-lagged, you know, you're traveling. Get some rest tonight, tomorrow. Everybody's invited for a kiddush. After davening, we're going to hear stories tomorrow. Rabbi Yaakov couldn't sleep the whole night, you know what I mean? Tossing and turning, how could it be? I have a hundred million stories and I can't remember a single one. Next morning, they go to shul, they daven, they come to the kiddush, and the scene repeats itself. Rabbi Yaakov told the stories, he can't remember a single story. Now, half the crowd is leaving because they're starting to doubt this guy. He's a faker. He says, don't worry, the rich Jew. Third meal on Shabbos afternoon after Mincha, you'll come, that's when you'll tell stories. And not as many people showed up, but he forgot again. Couldn't remember anything. The second Shabbos was over, they made Havdalah and Rabbi Yaakov said, I'm out of here. I feel so terrible. I wasted your time. I wasted the community's time. I'm leaving. The guy says, no, 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 stay. We'll have, we'll have a malka, we'll have a meal. He says, no, 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 I'm out of here. He says, okay. He orders a wagon. Rabbi Yaakov steps onto the wagon. As he steps onto the wagon, a story comes to mind. He jumps off the wagon and says, wait, 
I got to tell you one story before it slips my mind. And I says, please, come in. Comes inside. He tells the following story. He says, I was one of the Bashemtov's prized students. And the Bashemtov many times would perform his miracles on Motzei Shabbos, Saturday nights. And one Motzei Shabbos, he gathered his 10 students around. He says, guys, it's time to travel. And they traveled in Bashemtov style, which was they would go into his wagon and the horses would fly to wherever the Bashemtov directed them. And uh, they landed in the city. And the students noticed that all the Jewish homes were boarded up. But they're walking around, Bashemtov and his students. And one Jew comes out of one of the alleyways and says, You guys, nuts, you guys are with beards and, and, and hats. Don't you know what's happening here? They said, What's happening? So tomorrow morning, the famous bishop of the region is coming to give one of his fiery speeches against the Jews, and they typically end in a pogrom. So whenever these speeches are scheduled, we board up our homes, and you, get, you better get into a house fast. The Baal Shem Tov is calm as day, says, okay, show me a house, but show me a house next to where the speech is going to happen. So he walks into the, cl- the closest Jewish home to the speech, and uh, they walk in, and to the host's surprise, the Baal Shem Tov starts to take the board off of the window that's directly facing the podium. And the, the host says, you're nuts. You're going to kill me and my family, the whole community. Nothing doing. The board is off. The next morning, all the Goyim gather in the town square. The bishop gets up there, and he's speaking, and he's starting to lash out against the Jewish people. And during the speech, the Baal Shem Tov turns to this Rabbi Yaakov, who's telling the story, and he says, I want you to go out in the middle of the speech, approach the bishop, and tell him that Yisrael Baal Shem Tov is calling him to his quarters. He says, are you? You lose your mind. He's going to kill me on the spot. But the Rebbe says, no doubt. Goes out through the crowd, approaches the bishop, whispers into his ear those words. The bishop stops the speech, follows this Rebbe Yaakov to the home. And then Rebbe Yaakov says, we watched the bishop and the Baal Shem Tov go into a room closeted themselves for hours. We didn't hear a word, but we heard a ton of crying. Then the bishop came out and left the city, never to be seen again. That's the story. As he finishes the story, the rich Jew says, now I want to tell you the other side of the story. I'm the bishop. I was born Jewish. I was abused as a kid. I was a troublemaker and hater, and in those days, today this would never fly, but they had these cages that they would lock troublemaking kids into, and the whole community would walk by and spit on them. That was their abuse. And uh, he, he suffered like this terribly, and he said that uh, I, I, began, I, I, I couldn't stand Judaism. I figured I'm gonna get back at them, that's gonna be my whole life's mission. He became a Christian, he became a bishop, and his whole life's goal was to, to um, just basically make the Goyish people angry and get back at the Jews. And the Baal Shem Tov called me back. And during our conversation, he brought me back to tshuva. He, he re-inspired me to do repentance. And I asked him, how will I know that my tshuva was accepted? And the Baal Shem Tov said, when somebody will come and tell you your story, that will be the sign that you're forgiven. So he said, that's why I pay money to anybody who can tell me the story that I never heard. And he says, you came 
for Shabbos and I recognized you. I recognized you. You were the guy. And that's why you think, you think you didn't sleep Friday night? I didn't sleep Friday night. When you forgot the stories, I was feeling maybe this is a sign that my tshuva is not yet accepted, so I kept you here more and I kept you here more. And now I finally hear the story and I know that my tshuva is complete. That's, that's the heart of this chapter. Ultimately, what we're looking for is the tshuva. We're looking for that closure. We're looking for that relationship. We're looking for the intimacy. But it begins when we do our part, when we do the lower tshuva, when we set the stage. Then the story will come back to us. Someone else will tell us our own story, and then we'll know that the circle is closed. Chaim.